Good morning. Well, let's do the Easter thing. He is risen. Why do we say that? It's true. Yeah, it's true. How many grew up saying that? Right? He is risen. He is risen indeed. Right? I grew up in the church and he is risen. He is risen indeed. Yep, yep. What does that mean? What does that mean for us? Does it mean that Jesus died and he raised from the dead and and uh, we're forgiven of sins? Yes, it does. But what does that mean? Right? We can keep asking that question. What does it mean? How many of you have your Easter tradition? You come to church, right? You say hi with your best face, as authentic as possible, right? He's risen. He's risen. You say it 50 times. And then you smile, you hug, you know, maybe the awkward side hug. And, oh, it's a special day, so maybe I'll give you a full embrace for two seconds. And then, you, you know, you get home and your face hurts because you're like this. <laughs> then you're like, I peopled out. I'm done. But then you go, oh, snap, family's coming over. More people. <laughs> so now you're going to eat and you're going to pray and, and you're going to thank the Lord. And you may even say he is risen. And you're, oh, he's risen indeed. Do we have to say that at home? And you go through the motions of what it is, and and it is an important day, and we celebrate it, and we do our best to remember and to cling to it and to to let it become reality, at least for a day, that Jesus is risen. But let me tell you what it means. When we hear, he's risen, and we say he's risen indeed, we're talking about a God that loves us so dearly. And really, it means your love. Did he just die to defeat death? Did he just die so that your sins could be forgiven. Those are all a result of his love for you and for me. So really what we should be saying on Easter Sunday is we're loved. He loves me. And I love him back. Who is here Good Friday? Is anyone here Good Friday? Yeah. Um, That was probably the best Good Friday message I've ever heard. And if you, uh, by Mark Spencer, and the Lord was really moving through him. And if you did not get to hear it, please go to our website and listen to it. Because it messed me up. It did. It wrecked me. I'm sitting there expecting good stuff, and I got great stuff. I got stuff that made me rethink what today was about. Because I, I started thinking about that phrase, he's risen. He's risen indeed. He's risen. He's risen indeed. But what Mark brought was something a little different. He recalled the three days prior to Jesus' death and resurrection. And he said a phrase over and over, and it was like, look at Jesus. How did he keep going? Because when we, when we say he's risen, what he went through was isolation, loneliness, torture, abandonment, pain of every scale. Of every kind you can think of, he experienced. And the question was on Friday, how did he keep doing it? And then, and this is interesting, because oftentimes we think, well, Jesus, he's risen from the dead. He's defeated the sense of mortality of death. But what he defeated was far greater than that. Because death in itself is separation from God. It's separation from God. None of you, Christian or not, have experienced separation from God. Because God holds all things together here. 
And whether you recognize him or not is another story. But his presence is always moving in our lives, and we may not always see it or identify it, but it's always happening. So if he, if you were to experience complete separation from the presence of God, you would be in agony with no hope, no possibility of joy, no possibility of any kind of life whatsoever. So when we say he is risen, he didn't just defeat abandonment, loneliness, um, physical pain. He, he defeated separation from God. Now, we can only go so far in understanding what that is. But someday you're going to be wowed by that. Someday you're going to be wowed. And then Mark said something. This is where it turned. How did he keep going? And then he says, it was joy. It was the joy set before him. And I was like, okay. Right? You hear joy. You're like, yay. Joy. But then he gave examples. And I don't want to butcher what he said, so I'm not going to try and do that. You're just going to have to listen to it. But he goes through on what um, Jesus' joy was. And what I left with was, I'm his joy. And that's hard for me to accept that I'm his joy. You're his joy. The God of the universe, you're his joy. Let that sit with you for a minute. Everything that you've done in your life that is the opposite of what he would want for you, you're still his joy. You're still his joy. That should blow your mind. Any box that you had got in, that should blow it up right now, that you're his joy. That Jesus endured. We say, he is risen, he is risen indeed. He did that because we're his joy. And he did it for you and for me because we're his joy, we're his joy, we're his joy. Did I say that enough yet? No, I'm gonna say it more. John 3.16, many of us know it, some of us don't. For God so loved the world so much, so much, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent this son, his son, into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. And moving on to John 11. I want you to close your eyes and just listen to this. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who, who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? What word do you hear over and over in those two passages? Believe. Do you believe? Here's something we do in the Christian culture. We take the word belief and we remove acceptance. I can believe something and not accept it for my own life because acceptance means something's transforming in you. You've allowed something to penetrate your heart in such a way that it takes root, it takes hold, it begins transformation. I can believe that Mark and Sharon love me. I know they love me. I believe that, but I can reject that, right? I don't have to accept their love. I don't have to accept that relationship. But when scripture says believe, you cannot remove acceptance from belief, so we can say we believe in Jesus, we believe that he loves us, but if you don't accept that you're his joy, you're gonna miss him. Because it's not enough to just believe intellectually, you have to allow it to saturate your heart, which means we have to accept it. One of the things we do on Easter Sundays is we take what's extraordinary and we make it ordinary. We do that because it's too big. 
It's too large to grasp. And so we try to fit it in this box in a way that we can understand so that we can deal with a sickened heart because it's much easier to diminish the love of God so it can be believable for us. Because let's face it, to know that God loves us in our present state with so much love that you would be his joy, that he would give up his one and only son, separation that he'd never experienced in eternity so that you could have full access to him. That's huge. And we need to, we need to not diminish that one bit because it's extraordinary. And we're great at making God ordinary. And if we begin to do that, then we're going to miss it. He's not saying, get your mind around it. He's not saying, figure out my love. He's saying, accept my love. Accept my son. Accept it. Receive it. You don't need to know why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I love you. And you're never going to be able to figure that out because it doesn't make any sense, which proves the existence of God in my book, because grace is the only thing we cannot get our minds around. Because it comes from a God that is so beyond our thinking and understanding and our mortality to think that he loves us in our present state, even before transformation in his presence, boggles the mind. So belief is never absent of acceptance, and we can no longer afford to make the extraordinary ordinary because we'll miss him. One of the joys of my life is to make Mark Spencer, associate pastor, awkward feel awkward and I'm good at it and so what I'm going to do today with this really annoying tie that's frustrating me that shows how much I love you Um, I'm going to ask Mark to come up and I want to give you an illustration of this because you know I noticed something really interesting is that when Matt our worship leader asked you all to scoot in I'm watching the faces, and here's some of the faces I saw. Yeah. <laughs> how, do I, how do I somehow get my body closer without my hips touching their hips? And, and there's just this. There's something about intimate proximity that makes us feel awkward if it's not a safe place. If there's not familiarity, intimacy feels awkward. Does it not? Now, how many of you have trouble... Receiving a hug, especially one you don't deserve. I mean, seriously. Who, I mean, an embrace where they break the universal time limit of a hug. You can join my support group. <laughs> right? Where you, you, you get embraced and you're like, yep, second and a half, that's good. We're done. We're done, right? And we see, we see all kinds of different hugs, right? We see the awkward side hug. Mm. This is, in the church culture, this is a youth pastor hug. So, yeah, hey, hey, love you. <laughs> love you too. Right there. Yeah. This appropriate amount of space, right. right? You got the bro hug. Yep. Yep, that was good. <laughs> right? We're done. You got to the, 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 come up and center. You can't retreat. Oh. See, this is what happens, right? We retreat. <laughs> You're making this easy for me. Then you got, then you got, you know, you've got the squat hug where you kind of just like, you kind of build a tent, a little teepee going on. And here's the one that just wrecks it. He knows what's coming and he hates it. Right here, front and center. Come here, buddy. 
Okay, now stay with me here, all right? Because this is what's challenging. Right? Especially if Mark's in a place, say there's a disconnect between us. And I engage him, I say, Mark, I know I'm going to cry. Look, we're making fun of you and I'm going to cry. If I say, Mark, I love you, you're my brother. And I do this. Five, four, three, two, <laughs> right? And there's a moment where a melting happens. You just receive it and you let it happen. Now, I've never experienced that with him because he just always does that. All right. Give him a hand. Give him a hand. What do you see here? What do you see here? A cross. In the, in the church, it's said often that when Jesus was on the cross, what we see is a symbol of a divine embrace of his children. In open, saying, come to me, and I will embrace you. Now, what Mark experienced there was probably uncomfortable and awkward, because there is a sense, whether you do right or wrong or not, an undeservedness of something so intimate. And what we see here, what we celebrate today, is what Mark experienced here a bazillion fold intimacy, time. We have eternity with Christ Jesus and an embrace that will make you feel really awkward if you don't receive it. If you start going, wow, I don't deserve this, uh, the time is, is, is ticking down, it's going to be really challenging. There's a point where we have to just let it happen because whether or not we deserve it, we're God's joy, we're his joy, we're his joy, we're his joy, and he wants us to melt into his embrace. In 2009, I was in Southern California, that's where I, I, I come from, and I was at a men's retreat, and there were about 100 guys there, about two churches, and we had a speaker there that I knew was going to make me feel really uncomfortable. Because he was talking about the heart of the Father, the love of God. Now, when we hear that, this is something that we make ordinary. I can say to you, Jesus loves you. Well, I've heard that. I know that. But we've made it ordinary. If you understood the reality of that, you would be on your face. We would all be on our faces if we really experienced the weight of that. So I, I love this, this guy who's speaking, and... And he was a confidant for me. He's mentored me in my life. And I was in a, in a place where I was going through some tough relational things, where I was hurting. And when you're hurting and you think you're entitled to some pity, you move to your default button and you go to some of your vices or isolation or whatever it is that fills that void. Has anyone been there? Right? And I was in that place. But I thought, here's a, a mountaintop experience waiting for me. And so this speaker uh, asked everyone, and I knew he was going to do this, all these men, how many have heard your fathers tell you they love you? Two hands went up. A hundred men. Two guys, one including myself, were able to say, yeah, our dads always said they loved us. The rest of the guys had never, never heard from their fathers that I love you. Now that, some of us can relate to. And it's a harsh reality. 
and healing needs to happen. And so what we were going to do, and I, and I knew this, the speaker said to me and a couple other guys, when I say so, I want you to come up and I'm going to give a call and we, you guys are going to embrace these men. A fatherly, safe embrace. And so what's interesting is more times than not, it's easier to give something than it is to receive it because the control is still in your court. So I can give a hug because that's easy. I can give a hug because I'm in control. But when I'm receiving something, I'm not in control of that other than to say I accept it and I receive it. But I can't decide if that person's going to give me some or not. So I could easily go, I, I can't wait to hug these guys. It's going to make me feel better about me that I helped be an instrument to bring healing to these guys. And so, you know, the, the one person like you probably don't want to have that encounter with, you pick them out, right? You, it was this big burly guy. And I thought, man, this is the guy that probably needs the most ministry. And I'm not that broken where I need that kind of success. <laughs> hey. Like that would, that's a lot of emotional output. But it's funny how God works. And there's a truth to you can't judge a book by its cover. It's cliche as it is. So this man beelines it to me when the call comes up. And I'm going, no, don't come to me. Don't come to me. But I'm going like this, you know. I can't. I can't be like, Meh. And now, to give you an insight into what I'm thinking in the moment, the, the whole time was that I have, and my dad's here, so I'm going to cry. I have a very loving father who loves me and, and, and mother. I've got loving parents. But in that moment, I was asking the question, am I going to be a good father? You know, I couldn't help it. I was insecure about it. So this big burly man looks at me, and he gets all up in my personal space, took control from me. It was no longer my choice. It was his choice. And he grabs me, and he wraps me around in this bear hug, and there's no way I can go five, four, three, two, one and get away. It's not going to happen. I'm stuck. Unless I headbutt this guy, which probably wouldn't have done anything, I'm stuck. And he holds, so he bear hugs me, but then he turns it into this really gentle thing where he, holds, he held me like I was a two-year-old. And he put, gently, he put my face to his chest. He had his hand over my face. Uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm feeling really awkward. And he holds me, and I kind of try to get away. He goes, nope. And he's holding me, and then he says something I'll never forget. He says, it's okay. You're going to be a good dad. And I went, Jesus, you stop showing off. <laughs> and that's where I began to melt. Because I had to receive, one, I had to receive that this guy was safe. And that he was embracing me. Jesus wants to embrace you because you're his joy. And he was showing me that night, he says, Brendan, you're my joy, and I'm going to send a guy that's going to scare you to, to death, and he's going to hold you in a way that feels you, makes you feel so uncomfortable, but you will know at the end of it that you're my joy, that I see you, that I love you, and that you can't get away from me. So after that, I'm going, I, I, man, I was seeing double. And the tears start flowing. And then the speaker who knows me is across the room, sees what's happening to me, and he runs. 
He runs. This is a 67-year-old guy. Runs across the way, grabs me, puts me in that same hold. I'm going, oh, no! And then he begins to weep with me because he connected to my pain. And that weeping turned to joy and it turned to worship. (laughs) The embrace feels undeserved and it is. It is. But our call, especially on this day, is not to figure it out. It's to accept it. Because you are his joy. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't barter for it. It's given to you. And you just have to accept it. You don't like it. That's just tough. That's the way it is. It's the way it is. He loves you so much that he gave his one and only son so that you could be with him. He's about proximity. And we shouldn't be just doing plans on Easter and just leave it at Easter. Every single day we should be representations of the resurrection because we're his joy. And we should be walking with a hop in our step getting the funk on because we're his children and he loves us. We're his joy. And you cannot let anyone else tell you differently because it is a lie. You are his joy. Your bad decisions can't rob you of that. Your doubts can't rob you of that. It is a fundamental reality. Now, whether you accept that or not is on you. But you cannot control the fact that you are his joy. Now, I want to leave with that. That I'm his joy. I want to strut my stuff. And not in a cocky way, but to say, I am loved in a way that I can't possibly comprehend. So I'm not going to try. I'm just going to accept it. I'm going to relish in it. And then I'm going to allow other people to see how much he loves me by loving them. And then guess what you see? Oh, the kingdom is here. Whoa, Jesus is alive. Jesus is moving. Yeah, he's moving through his joy, and that's you. We are his joy, and we move in his joy. See, here's the deal. We say, and this is a good Christian thing to say, it's all about Jesus. It is. But so often we forget that he's chosen us as his joy. So it's not just about Jesus. It's first about Jesus, but then about us and Jesus. And we can't be ashamed of that. We should revel in that, that we're his joy and he invites us in to relationship with him. It's about us with him. First about him, but us with him. Let's pray. What do you say? I don't know what to say, Jesus. I don't know what to say, but I will say thank you that, that I'm your joy. And I don't, I'm so undeserving of it, and it's a hard one to accept. But would you help me and would you help us to a place of acceptance? That the belief would move from the intellectual understanding that this happened to an acceptance and allowing that to penetrate our lives. And so, Lord, I pray as we approach more worship, that we would lift you high, that as we approach our tithes and offerings, we would give out of that joy because we are your joy. We can give out of joy. We can worship out of joy. And we can worship in such a way that we're not afraid, that we're not insecure, but we're fully confident in who we are, and you are deserving of all praise. So we lift you up. 
I pray that we would leave here with the understanding that every day is Easter Sunday. Every single day is a day we should be celebrating that we're your joy and that you are alive in our midst, that you have given us freedom from death and from sin so that we may know you for eternity. We thank you, Lord. We worship you for you are worthy to be praised. In Jesus' name, amen.